Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief here at Modern Retail. And this week we have Jacob Zupke, the president and CEO of Whisker, which is, I think, most famously known, though Jacob can answer this more than I, for the litter robot. We're going to dive into all things cat litter. But also, they've been expanding a lot. I know they did a somewhat recent rebrand where they're going beyond their well known cat litter product. I own cats, so I'm personally invested in this conversation. There are so many things I want to dive into just about being a brand of a, of a cat product online um, and just all, all of the distribution questions, all of that. We're going to talk about it all. But anyway, Jacob, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I am also a fellow cat person. I, I would hope so. You are you are the, the, the CEO of the brand. So who are you and how did you end up becoming the chief executive at a, a company known for its electronic cat litter box? So I was very fortunate to join the uh, founder in 2015, having uh, been at it for 15 years prior to my joining. And uh, he had built the foundation for something really special. And I was able to join as a digital marketer to help launch the new version of the Litter Robot, at the time, the Litter Robot 3, uh, even before we were connected with the product. And Throughout 2015, after I joined, we really worked all year to uh, put together an awesome digital strategy to launch it at the end of the year once we had manufacturing up to a point where we could support it. And I remember at the time, I kept calling them social influ- or social celebrities because they didn't have a name yet. And I uh, had this really cool idea that uh, I found myself on Instagram and on Facebook following these famous cats who had a million followers. And we worked uh, in Q3, Q4 of 2015 to get ready. And we launched it all on uh, December 1st, 2015, and just had a home run. We uh, Website traffic went from our high record to doing that high record in one day. And then pretty much it's been a exciting journey ever since. And I'll stop there and uh, happy to provide more color wherever you'd like. No, yeah, I, want, I have a lot of questions. But let's talk like just... Pre-2015, where was the Litter Robot most pop? Was it mostly sold brick and mortar? Was it Amazon? Where were you seeing the most demand? So I think one thing that Brad did, of many things, but one notable thing that he did very well was realizing that being a digitally native brand before that was even a coined term was the best path forward for the Litter Robot due to its size. It doesn't sit on a retail shelf and sell itself all that well. Only for the reason that it's a product that you have to really get to understand. You have to understand exactly what its possibilities are in your home. And given that he was going through a period where robots were still being uh, a normalized thing into the American household, I think that he figured out that telling the story digitally would be a better path forward. So at the beginning of 2015, we were uh, about two-thirds direct-to-consumer and about one-third Amazon. And uh, since then, that's definitely changed pretty drastically. What is it now? Um, we are a primarily digitally native brand that has gone omni-channel, but definitely focused primarily around our direct-to-consumer platform. We are expanding that as we reach consumers across the globe now. We also have a exciting partnership with a brand called Hollywood Feed, which is about a 100-store chain regionally, 150-store chain regionally. And we are in approximately 40 of those stores so far where we are building a physical footprint to tell the story of what the Litter Robot is capable of doing. 
So yeah, I, just to give people a sense for what the Litter Robot is, the Litter Robot is a very unique litter box because it is, it's on the more expensive side. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's around six, $650. Is that what the, the new one is? For the new Litter Robot 4, yep. Uh, and so I want to go into when you're, when you're in a store and you have a display, what the strategy is. Is it, is it just about getting people to know the brand or is it about selling products? But can you, can you walk through the evolution of the product itself? So you said when you joined 2015, it was on its third iteration. What exactly changed with it? Sure. Uh, even going back to the first one in 1999, Brad invented the product out of a need that he had. He was a, a recent cat parent who just inherited the cat scooping chore and as an engineer knew there had to be a better way. So came out with the Litter Robot 1, which was a gravity sifting litter box, essentially orbital sift. So it spun about 270 degrees one way and then came back around and went about 45 degrees the other way so that it would normalize the litter bed each time. And that sifting methodology, we were the first ones to commercialize that. Fast forward to the Litter Robot 2, really the big difference there was some notable improvements that we had an opportunity in 2005 to improve, went from vacuum mold to injection mold. Then it was a long way between the Litter Robot 2 and the Litter Robot 3, which gave us plenty of time to learn from our customers and hear what else they wanted. Litter Robot 3 was a larger bed for the cat, so a larger opening. It was a more ergonomic design that sat a little bit lower to the ground for the cat easier entrance to get into. And then we expanded that to the Litter Robot 3 connect which is the connected version of it as a cat parent myself i was actually one of the first beta users of the litter robot connect and our cat got a uti when i was traveling my wife was at home we got a bunch of notifications in a row that the cat was getting in and out in and out in and out of the litter box my wife ran over to see what was going on not knowing if there was just a glitch or something and saw our cat struggling to get in and out of the litter box as it normally would we rushed her to the vet and we found out she had a blockage in her urinary track and that's why she was getting in and out so the litter robot connect platform has been very powerful and as we think about litter robot 4 we've essentially built what i think is a absolutely beautiful looking litter box but that is operating like a software platform so the whole unit can be reprogrammed over and over over the air just like your other smart home products would be able to do and that allows us to continually learn and improve upon the product off its existing hardware platform okay so let's talk about branding and customer acquisition and sort of who who is the target customer and how has that or has that changed over the last few years because you know the the cat box that I own I'm pretty sure it was 60 or 70 dollars and even that seemed pretty steep for me and so how were you able to find the right swath of customers such that you could be a growing company at such a high price point so I'll draw an analogy here, and I think our opportunity is that similar to the dishwasher. If you rewind many, many years, the dishwasher came out, and it had to be educated upon. Why would somebody take a chore that they're doing by hand and now do it with a machine and take up a sizable amount of real estate in their home? Our outlook on the litter box is that the traditional litter box is a thing of the past. If I think about other household chores that we've gone into automate, including even something as simple as the thermostat, which... I'm a huge fan of Nest and everything they've done as a company, but I don't have a problem with my thermostat. It was never really a chore to me. However, they found a way to automate something that made it better for you as a, as a homeowner. And I think we've done that with the litter box. I think we've automated a chore that, in my opinion, is one of the more dreadful chores in the home when you have a cat. 
I would much rather vacuum my house than I would scoop the litter box every day. Vacuuming is a once a week chore. And people have chosen to automate that through great products like the iRobot. And I think that we've automated something as well that, in my opinion, is a daily household chore. If you're a great cat parent and you're scooping daily, you're giving your cat a better you know, bed of litter each time they go to the bathroom. I draw the analogy to a human toilet that you wouldn't want to use if someone else had gone prior. And then in our case, you know, we're, we're really serving the pet parent and that they don't have to deal with this chore every single day. So our outlook is education. If we can educate people on why the litter robot solves for what should be a thing of the past, which is scooping, that's our opportunity as a company. And I think our content speaks to that very well. Specifically in 2019, we came out with a video that really did a great job illustrating it called Don't Be a Scooper. And we poked fun at the responsibilities of a pet parent and what happens when you are not a good scooper. And I think that was really eye-opening to a lot of cat parents that saw that video. The video went on to get more than 20 million views. And I think it's been a, a huge catalyst in telling our story. And we've continued to tell that story in different ways since. So then that that leads perfectly to what I want to talk about next, which is just the overall strategy since you joined. So you mentioned in 2015, there wasn't a word for influencer, but cats were, if I'm not mistaken, very big online back then and maybe had reached their heyday back then than they are now, though you would know more than I would. But so what? how did you craft that strategy? And did you find that social media was the number one acquisition channel for you? And is it still? Yeah, so um, education through um, TV, social, and uh, influencer, social being social paid ads, at least in today's modern world where you really do have to pay to play, um, those have been the three largest catalysts to our growth. I think specifically TV is a good medium for us, and we were able to jump into this a little bit early uh, where we were telling our story in a really interesting way. We took those same ads that poked fun at the scooper, and we told that story on TV. And, you know, beyond, you know, we, we were fortunate. My creative team won a couple of awards for the spot itself. But really, I think what it did is it broke through the clutter. It told a story and it educated people in a way that they had never seen before. So through TV, I think we as people that have learned to consume TV in a certain way, when we see something on TV, we tend to have a sense of trust for whatever reason. And we continue to find that linear performs better than connected. Because really? I do believe that it's harder to break into. It's harder to justify a budget for linear, and it takes longer to tell a story. It's a much bigger investment. And we've continued to find that mediums such as television, paid social, influencer are great storytelling opportunities. But I think it's all of it that really plays into your story. When you see something on TV, then you see it online, and then you go to fact check on Instagram. It really, when you see it in all those places, and then you see a brand like Whisker, who with the Litter Robot has over some odd 30,000 reviews across the Litter Robot product line, and it fact checks out across all those places on an expensive purchase, it really helps to get that consumer over that edge of, should I trust this brand? What has been the big shift? Is it just that you're focusing less on paid digital advertising, focusing more on linear TV? And also, caveat to that, why do you think linear TV performs better than connected TV? I'm a connected TV consumer. I have been for the last six years, I believe they call it cutting the cord, and I cannot remember most of the ads that I see. 
Um, there's one specifically I remember, but I was already so deep into the funnel, which is the tonal, the workout equipment. And I was already on the verge of purchasing it. And then I was watching the Food Network consistently every day. Uh, my, my, my favorite person, Ted Allen, who was just, you know, leading chopped and er, between every episode, it was a tonal ad. And that was probably one of the bigger catalysts to driving me over the edge and making my tonal purchase. However, that's the one that I remember. I don't remember Tona Connected TV. And I don't know if it's because I'm multitasking or if I'm just in a different position. But then I was out to dinner recently watching linear TV just at the bar as we were having dinner. And I saw an ad for Solo Stove. And I could distinctly remember the ad that I saw for Solo Stove. It was for one of their newer products. And it just caught my attention. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the, the trust with the type of show that we're seeing, or maybe it's the way in which I'm consuming the television and where my focus is at that time. But specifically, I remember seeing that ad where I can't tell you what ads I saw last night while watching a new TV show on Connected TV. So interesting. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm, I too am a cord cutter and I zone out for nearly all the ads and I don't think any of them have driven me to be a per- to make a purchase. But I also do think that there's a lot more repetition on connected TV ads. And so maybe you are trained to not think about it. Like, I feel like I see the same four ads all the time, such that my brain just shuts off or something like that. I'm going to advertise with my course. So I love the ads and my wife and I probably see it differently where I prefer the free version with the ads only because I enjoy the ads, not for the money. Um, but I enjoy the consumption of advertising because I get to learn. And I will say there is one ad that caught my attention that I am thinking of because it was it was an interesting one, and I was not the core customer, and I probably never will be, but Fexi, birth control. And their ad was just so out there. It opened with a very wild statement um, from a very well-known actress, and I, I just – it caught my attention. And that when I was talking with our creative director and our head of video, we were talking about modern ads that we all liked. Neither one of the three of us was the target audience. All three of us remembered that ad. So I think when you break through the clutter generally, when you have great content, I think content tells a beautiful story. And I think as consumers, we want to be entertained. That doesn't necessarily mean funny. It just means entertaining, something that's memorable. And I know for me, like one that comes to mind as we're having this conversation, not that I thought of before, is the Tide ad. The reason Recent Tide ads have talked about um, it was the, uh, the dishwasher and doing it at night. It was like two older people that were in the ad and it, it insinuated that they might be doing something else after oh, dinner. And I've seen know, this ad. ad. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I think I laughed at that ad too. I remember that one where it's like pretty much it's all sexual innuendo and that they did the dishes or something like that. Correct. And I think as consumers, (laughs) we want to be entertained. We want to remember something. And I think if it's appropriate to bring up in a conversation over dinner with a group of friends or with family or then I I think that's kind of the fun that Dollar Shave Club originally came out with many years ago and why that was such a phenomenon at the time. And we, we still try and embody that in our ads every day where we try and do something that's humorous and enjoyable and our upcoming ad that you'll see which I can now talk about is a person going like just finishing their business a female in this really cool dress that just visually pops in a human-sized litter box in the middle of the living room and she just finished her business and she looks at the camera and she talks about how she just finished her business in the middle of the living room and she's not the only one and the camera cuts to a cat doing its business in the living room and the joke is just this idea that the litter box is a traditional thing is a weird thing to have this open box in the middle of the living room that just 
after the cat's done, it just sits there. Whereas with a litter robot, it's automatically taking care of it, depositing it into an odor-controlled, you know, waste receptacle below, and really doing the automation to where it's a clean litter box for the cat, and it's not an eyesore in the middle of the living room. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Talk to me a little bit about attribution, because I feel like that's the one thing, especially for smaller brands that are thinking about doing linear TV, is they spend a lot of money, they do a national run, but then, you know, maybe they see some more site traffic, but it's really hard to figure out how it's working. So what have you found works, or is it all just pure branding, and over time it has played out to your advantage? Even with the success that we've been able to create over the last seven years, I wish I had like a magical yes for you that we figured it out and cracked it. But the answer is I think it's ever evolving and I don't think that there is a one size fits all. I'll tell you what we've done, which I think has worked for us, which is we found our own attribution model that we use for television, which is we layer in after each spot runs the amount of organic traffic and mobile traffic that we get within a five minute attribution window of that spot running. So if you're watching ABC television show and you know our ad comes on at 3.01 p.m. Eastern time, we layer that spot into our organic data and we look at how much mobile and desktop traffic we have within that window. We create an attribution back to that spot. There's no perfect science and we are using Tatari. We're using one of the more cutting edge you know, digital media platform uh, for buying TV. It's still, even with their analytics and our, our way of going about things, you have to be comfortable with a little less perfect data attribution. And I'm sure some other advertisers and bigger brands might have a better formula for it, but this is what's worked for us. And we've consistently been able to measure total traffic against the spot. And that's how we've measured it. Not necessarily revenue because we are in the current stage of our journey in education where we're trying to educate people about the market opportunity to solve their chore with our product. And I think that if we overanalyze data and we recognize everything around a ROAS model, don't get me wrong, we do that digitally. But if we try and do everything with a ROAS model, I think you get short-sighted. And I think that if we hadn't done so much in education at the super high funnel, we wouldn't have created the traffic levels that we're at today. And that takes time to build. The litter robot is searched for well over 200,000 times a month. That's comparable numbers to what you see from the Roomba on Google search volume. And still very few people tend to know about litter robot and daily conversation when I'm talking to people about their cat. But yet online, we have a lot of search volume. And I think a lot of that has been created from our TV attribution or our TV media, rather. How long have you been running these TV ads and sort of when do you get to phase two then? So we have been uh, pretty heavy in TV since about 2017. Uh, we really scaled up in 2019. And then at the beginning of 2020, you know, when, when COVID broke and changed our lives forever, you know, we at the third week of March pivoted our media to the news channel. And everybody between a very divisive election and that of people wanting to learn what was going on in the world at the time, we actually split our media on between um, a lot of our media on Fox News, a lot on CNN, so that we were capturing both audiences. And then we really went to CNBC and other miscellaneous news channels as well that were maybe a little bit more, um, I'll say, neutral. And um, 
we put our media there and it just had a awesome impact on our business. We overnight started to see a surge in traffic like we had never seen before. And you know, some people call it the COVID boom, but I really do think it was making, we have a great team that was able to make really smart decisions quickly. And after we saw the impact of that, we went and shot another commercial and doubled down on it. And it was really just a um, making the best of what was not a great situation in the world and, you know, having to look out for the team that we've worked hard to build. I, I had to do everything in our power to make sure that we could continue growing the business. And that was one of the bigger catalysts to our continued success during the last few years. So does organic, especially on social media, Instagram, uh, just not really exist anymore? I feel like if you're a cat-focused brand, a lot of it probably was you'd find a cat with a million followers and but you wouldn't necessarily put it in a pay to play algorithm. But it seems like where you're finding the most success are on these very highly paid where you get in front of people's eyeballs. Do you, do you think that that's true or what, what are you seeing? Yes and no. Um, yes, I think paid media is always something that you need to consider as a brand. And it's definitely a shorter putt, in my opinion, to successfully growing your business. I think organically is not something you can build overnight. Um, you know, we have seen a lot of brands come on the market that have tried to do what we've done and essentially try and bid up our keyword and, and capitalize on that. I don't think that's enduring. I don't think that's something that will actually build your brand longer term. I think that organic does carry a big footprint in our business. And uh, without disclosing what percentage of our business that is, it's a pretty profound number. And that's because of building the brand over many years and supporting that brand with great service. And that's not something that you can BS your way around. And that's always going to come out organically, whether it be in your reviews, whether it be on social, whether it be just across the search engines. If you are not building a great business alongside your product, you can market anything. But to build an enduring brand, you have to build that, I'll call it organic side. And that's all the other pieces of your business. And for us, that's a 22-year journey of invention and continued development and continued reinvestment in our future, which plays into what I think is our organic success that we've had. I think we turned off all of our advertising today. We would still have a very successful business. It just would not be at the size that it is with the paid side. Got it. I want to go back to something you said earlier, just because it was kind of interesting. Um uh, the the fact that you ran ads at the beginning of the pandemic on a variety of different uh, channels and that had diverging political bents. Uh, did you find that there was a difference between, say, a more conservative cat owner and a liberal? Who who w- w- were there ones ones that were more likely to make a purchase? Uh, what did you find when you did when you did those ads? So it's funny. Um, from my quick recollection, if I if I um if I'm not mistaken, what we found every time we ran an ad on CNN, so with CNN, we were daily. So whereas with Fox News, we were pretty much every other day because of the cost of each spot. With CNN, we were daily and we had a constant flow of traffic that we were attributing back to CNN. Whereas with Fox News, we would have spikes in traffic every time we ran a spot. And, you know, we never pushed it in terms of our messaging because I think as a company, you know, our goal is to serve every cat parent. It's not to serve one cat parent or a different one. You know, our outlook is if you have a cat that poops, 
we are for you. And so we did not change our messaging for either. And so it wasn't good apples to apples. And all in all, we landed on, they were both great channels. They both had differing ways of, of measurement where if just again, from my recollection, Fox News was a spike every time we ran where CNN was a consistent flow of traffic. But I think that's also because of how we ran our media, which was daily on CNN versus more spiking on Fox News. We would pick the bigger channels or the bigger uh, shows on Fox and we would run during those and we would pick it like every other day just due to budget. Interesting. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about sort of channel expansion, because you mentioned how you're doing a strategic, I think, omni-channel expansion. You're in a regional store. Where, you know, how is that going? How are you designing the layouts? And what is the intent with that? Like, as I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I would imagine it would be hard to have someone go into a store and then instantly be like, all right, I'm going to spend $500 on this cat box. But maybe they would. So you, you tell me. I've been going to the Consumer Electronics Show and other shows for the last seven years and a few months. And it's so funny how often I hear, oh, my God, I've been looking at this. And now that I've seen it in person, I'm ready to buy or a version of that. I think the peace of mind of touching, feeling, and actually looking at a household appliance, which is how we would categorize the litter robot, there's huge value in And I just went through this as a consumer myself. I had to replace my oven and I went to Home Depot. I ended up buying it online, but I went, I touched, I felt, I looked, and then I bought it online. And I think as consumers, when we're spending a certain amount of money, it's nice to be able to touch and feel it. I also think there's a value in the peace of mind of knowing that if my household appliance that I purchased doesn't work, there's somebody locally that I can go and talk to. If you're going to spend thousands of dollars on a new oven, it's nice to know that there's a Home Depot or a Lowe's or some kind of store near you that can take care of you if something happens. And I think the same goes for Litter Robot. Just the peace of mind, even though we have great reviews on our service and our ability to take care of customers in and out of warranty, there's a peace of mind of knowing that the store near you carries it and they'll take care of you if something happens. So I, I think there's an element of peace of mind that comes with that. And then the second is, it is a unique product. It is something that until you've seen it, you've never seen it. You know, it's like a, it's, it's a totally different way of looking at a chore that you've long been doing by hand. If you've had a cat for 25 years, which is, you know, sometimes what I hear at these shows, you've been doing the same chore for 25 years. Like it's not foreign to you to do it. So why would you change that? I think when you see the novelty of how Litter Robot works and at its core of what presents to you as a consumer, how simple it looks, of course, a lot of engineering goes into simplicity. But in our case, once you see it work, you can never unsee that. And the next time you go to Scoop, you are going to remember that. I think your Home Depot one is a really interesting one. And I'd love to just get your perspective on that as a brand owner. So you, you went to Home Depot you touched and felt all of the ovens, and then you went home and bought it online. And I imagine that might be what's hap- could be what happens with um, with a litter robot. How do you think about that in terms of retail partnerships, where maybe the, the volume isn't huge, but you hope that there is that going on? Is there is there a threshold you have in your mind? How, how do you conceptualize that? So any retail partner that we would have, we want to favor the retailer. I, I have an outlook that just we, we want our partners to always win, whether that's a vendor, a partner, a retailer, it does not matter. So what we did when we first launched, it was a group called Pet People. They were recently acquired by Hollywood Feed. Uh, but Pet People, when we first partnered with them, we actually put a flyer in all of our uh, materials that was by our kiosk. 
And I had a dedicated pet people offer. So as a company, we never discount our product, but we did have a specific offer where it was free returns, whereas online you would normally have to just pay for return shipping. And it's a very expensive shipment for us to get it there. The return shipment isn't that bad, and we'll do a pickup from your house, and we do a flat fee. And because of our percentage rate, we're comfortable with that because it is such a small number. But I think when you have the peace of mind of being able to pick it up locally and return it locally, if it doesn't work out for your cat, great. We have a 90-day trial period, so you can bring it home and acclimate your cat. And then for whatever reason, your cat's one of the very small percent that doesn't acclimate to it. You know that you can take it locally. I think there's that element, too. So we gave them this flyer that helped to get that online purchase back to them with that offer so that they were incentivized to buy it through our retail partner. Um, Additionally, you know, with our respective partner, there was a free home delivery. There was a curbside pickup. We, we made it such a attractive experience that I think it was attractive to both parties, the retailer and to the consumer, where it made the, the favorable purchase to be locally. And I'm a pet people shopper. I was. Now I'm a Hollywood feed shopper. But the... Uh, I've been getting their delivery and auto subscribe forever, but I still love going into the store. I have a dog, I have a cat, and I absolutely love going to the pet store with my dog, letting her pick out a bone, bringing home stuff for the cat because she'd be miserable if I took her out to go do that. And, you know, I think there's a physical, human, and emotional connection that we have to the pet store. And so I think it's a great discovery place as well. Is Hollywood uh, Feed the only place, the only retail location you're in right now? They are for physical retail partners there. Are you thinking about expanding that or are you trying just being very strategic about it? I think right now we want to prove out um, that this is a a model that's attractive for the retail partner. You know, look, we've got a great business and ultimately, I mean, as much as I would love to have that be a huge success for our company, we've been able to create a good success online. I would love to prove this out to be a huge retail partner success and then be able to look at scaling that. And I think we've got a great partner in Hollywood Feed and with their acquisition, I'm, I'm fairly confident that that gives us a little bit more room for growth. Uh, but they are primarily Midwest, East Coast, and South. They don't cover the West Coast. So I think at some point, we're definitely going to be open-minded. But one thing I'm learning as we grow this company to the 350 people that we have is you have to have a focus and you have to know how to get that focus successfully executed upon before you can move on to the next thing. So our focus right now is making the most out of the partners that we have, scaling those partnerships, making it a win-win, and then looking at maybe what else maybe in the future. Yeah. I wanted to ask, and this is re- related to everything we talked about, but maybe a little random, but you mentioned how in 2020 you saw a huge spike in sales. A lot of that was attributed to the the ads you did, but it was also, there was a huge spike in pet ownership, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, are, are you worried or are you seeing sort of a leveling off because people are going out and there aren't as many pet owners? Or are you still seeing the levels of interest, at least in your product that has that was associated with the big pet boom we saw in 2020, 2021? My favorite line to say is cats keep pooping. Um, And so my outlook is that any cat, any household deserves a litter robot. And that's a lot of American households that have a cat that don't yet have an automatic litter box, specifically a litter robot. 
And I think that our opportunity is no different before as it was then. You know, our outlook has always been no one needed a dishwasher. And that's still how we treat the litter robot today. It is our opportunity as a company to educate people why they need it. And there are so many pet parents worldwide that whether we have a pandemic boon or not, I think that was a nice little accelerant. I think, you know, everything that's happened in the economy over the last two years um, when it comes to consumer discretionary spending was a positive for our business. But I don't think that was our accelerant. We were already growing at a really exciting rate pre-COVID. I think that was just a little bit of more gas on the fire. Got it. Um, we're almost getting out of time, but I have a million questions I want to ask you. But let's go into pr- like product expansion, different products you sell, because Little Robot isn't the only thing. So how ha- how much do you emphasize those those other items? How long have they been part of the portfolio? And what is your view on them, given that you do have a hero product that you are more or less more well-known for? So uh, we built our iPhone before we built our Apple, uh, for lack of better comparisons. And of course, who wouldn't want to be compared to Apple? <laughs> um, in our case, we built Litter Robot as a brand before we had a brand. And so we've stepped back to build Whisker because we want people to fall in love with, as they have with Apple, not just iPhone, Whisker. We believe it's important that you fall in love with the brand that built the products because we do have other exciting products. And the feeder robot I've been using for almost three years. I was one of our first beta testers with my dog. Um, I love the line that I haven't fed my dog in three years. It feels fun to say in a conversation. Uh, people usually uh, bat an eyebrow at me, but uh, you know, it's it's really it's such a, a an automation of a chore that I not necessarily found value in the relationship between my pet and I. I always found that as treating, whereas food was a chore I my dog would prefer to eat before I wake up in the morning. My dog would prefer to eat before I get home at the end of the day. If I can feed on her schedule now, breakfast, lunch, and dinner around her times, she doesn't have to gorge a meal. She can eat more comfortably, and then I give her an after-dinner snack. And that's the human element that I have with her. So it hasn't necessarily taken out any of the human element. I think it's just automated things for her. Athena Robot just got rated by Spruce Pets in a very deep uh, review against nine other smart Wi-Fi feeders, the best feeder. It's the only one that we know of that's made here in America, as the Litter Robot proudly is as well. And we've spent a lot of time building it into a really stable household appliance that can stand on its own two feet with or without Wi-Fi. So it's never reliant on your home internet working. It's reliant on the unit itself as a computer that programs as you program it remotely or programs based on the last program you did. So it's always a smart feeder. And I had a feeder that didn't work that was a smart feeder about three and a half years ago, and it did not feed my dog for almost two days, but was telling me that it was. There was a firmware glitch where it wasn't reading between cloud and firmware appropriately, and my dog was sitting by the feeder and would not walk away. And so I pressed the button on the app because I thought something was funky. It said it fed and it didn't. So we really made it totally redundant and built a great household appliance. And our goal is to do this with all household pet chores. So you know, right now we have food, uh, we have waste. We have another really exciting product coming up, and then we have another really exciting, very early uh, robot invention that I think will reinvent a category that's never been reinvented in pet. And our goal with our 40-person engineering team is to truly solve problems for pet parents that we as pet parents ourselves want to solve. So uh, that I'm excited to hear what that 
what that category is that has never been reinvented. But um, do you have a goal, maybe even for the end of the year, or for the next couple of years, in terms of percentage of, of different products sold? I imagine Litter Robot is leading the pack right now, but are do you want it to get to where all these other ones are 50-50? Or what, what are you hoping for in the in the year or years to come? I think by anyone else's metrics, metrics and success, I would say our cat litter our other subscription businesses and the feeder robot are all quite successful. I think that the litter robot has just been around longer. So people know us as the litter robot company. But when I compare again back to Apple, Apple is still about from, from public knowledge that I have that anybody could, uh, I think, get. You know, there's still about 50% iPhone. And I think that when you think about Apple as a company, they're a technology company across a whole slew of products and services. And I think that just because they reinvented a category with the smartphone, they're going to be forever known in part because of that. And that may weigh favorably for their revenue. And I think that we have the own that that same problem and also of course great opportunity which is that we've reinvented a category we are the first you know inventors of the sifting litter box that sifted orbitally the way that we do and i think we'll forever be known as that and it's on us to reinvent other categories you know like i am a huge airpods fan i have bought five pairs in the last however many years as gifts for myself for my wife and like i've become a super fan of other apple products as we hope to do with other whisker products as well Well, Jacob, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. I love talking with a fellow cat person about cat-related content. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. Bye.